0: last time on Lead On. It's really across the lifespan that we're worried
1: about lead. For very small increases of lead, there are a lot of associations, studies that have found the effects of lead are concerning.
2: The purpose of the Lead and Copper Rule sampling program, it is not to try to assess how much lead is in the water that people are drinking. It is trying to assess the effectiveness of the corrosion control program. Evanston
0: is in a high-risk area defined by the Department of Public Health because of its old housing stock. So we do have buildings that were built pre-1978 uh, that perhaps contained
2: lead. If they're using federal money, and that money results in Minorities being disproportionately impacted, even if that's not the intention, that actually is a violation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964.
0: For the Daily Northwestern, I'm Calum Luciano,
3: And I'm Hina Shabastava. This is the third episode of Lead On, a podcast about Evanston's biased lead testing practices. This podcast is serialized, so if you like what you hear... You might want to go back and listen from the start.
0: After analyzing nearly 30 years of lead testing in Evanston's water, we found something strange. 60% of all samples came from only two of Evanston's nine wards. These wards, the 6th and 7th, are historically white and wealthy areas in North Evanston. Evanston's historically black 5th ward made up only 1.8% of the sampling pool, despite holding 10% of the city's population.
3: Last episode, we looked at why bias sampling matters, how lead can affect people's health, and what undersampling might mean for communities who are being left out.
0: Over the last few years, the EPA has been working on revising the LCR. The agency published its recommendations for public comment in November 2019 and closed the public comment period in February 2020. The EPA said it would finalize its revisions by the end of this year but has yet to do so.
3: Back in 2014, Tom Neltner, the Chemicals Policy Director of the Environmental Defense Fund, was appointed to the EPA-created Lead and Copper Rule Working Group. This group recommended long-term revisions to the LCR.
2: And we met over 18 months, usually two-day meetings, and dug into the rule and provided the agency with feedback and effectively called for an overhaul of the rule to say everybody needs to be starting to replace lead service lines. It'll take a long time, but you got to start now.
3: In 2015, the group gave the EPA the recommendations. They proposed community set a goal of replacing all lead lines within 30 years. The EPA rejected this recommendation. Instead, cities will be required to replace the public portion of a lead line only when a resident chooses to replace their private portion of the line.
2: I think they were rushing the rule through to get it out because it still was way overdue. And I think they were worried about the price tag on doing lead service line replacement. But even the water utilities know they need to start that process.
0: Under the new rule, communities will need to replace their lead lines if they test above 10 parts per billion. Any system above that threshold needs to fix a corrosion control treatment. Systems in between 10 and 15 parts per billion have to work with the state to set a plan to replace their lead lines annually. And systems above 15 parts per billion have to replace a minimum of 3% of their lead service lines annually.
2: So they've still made replacing a lead service line as a last resort. It's what you do when everything else fails, when the corrosion control doesn't get you there. So it isn't an integral part of every community's efforts. And that was inconsistent with what the National Drinking Water Advisory Committee recommended. We were disappointed that EPA didn't do it. And we called for them to do it now.
0: These revisions do not mention bias sampling procedures. While the EPA claims revisions will require systems to quote, identify areas most impacted, this doesn't change how homes will be selected for sampling. What this means is the EPA will require cities to one, make an inventory of public lead lines, two, pay attention to houses that test for high lead levels, and three, find ways to mitigate the problem. The EPA does, however, require cities to adjust sampling sites to better target homes with higher lead levels. Still, none of this ensures cities will take a diverse sample of communities that are currently being left in the dark.
3: Nancy Loeb works as the director of Pritzker School of Law's Environmental Advocacy Center. She has studied lead regulations for a number of years and said the EPA's proposed revisions don't go far enough.
1: There has been significant pressure for a lot of years to revise the LCR to better protect people. And the science for the need is so strong. But I would consider or label what U.S. EPA is doing here as not a pro-health action, but something more defensive, put something out there that moderately provides some benefits while limiting the costs and not providing the kinds of protections that are needed. So I think it's a very cynical act, actually, to back off the demands for further regulation and protection by doing something That's not nearly enough.
3: Over the past four years, President Trump's EPA has reversed nearly 100 environmental protections, including air pollution and emissions regulations, water pollution, toxic substances and safety, and drilling and extraction.
1: The time we're living in right now under the Trump administration and the Trump EPA, which is focused not on protecting the environment or health, but much more focused on limiting any costs to industry and allowing wanton exploitation of our natural resources and this horrifying deregulatory agenda. And it is irrespective of the harm being done to people and the environment. And we are seeing it across all regulatory aspects of the the US EPA right now, and especially when it comes to chemicals and toxins, and they are weakening regulations rather than strengthening them to protect people.
0: While Trump's administration has done little to fix LCR, its issues stem from long before him and drip down to every local community water system, including Evanston's. Over the last few years, Eleanor Mead the Evanston water chemist who oversees lead testing, has identified some of Evanston's shortcomings. When we spoke to her prior to the 2020 testing period, she was trying to fix by sampling. So
4: I'm hoping that we can be better this time. It's not a lack of trying, I will tell you that. It's not a lack of trying.
0: <laughs> if you heard some water running in the background, it's because her office is right in the middle of Evanston's water facility. Mead first tried to address bias sampling in 2017, the first year of regular testing after Flint, Michigan's water crisis.
4: Once it was called to our attention, we definitely tried to do our best to, you know, look at different zones and see if there was any type of discrepancy and, you know, one zone being higher than another. And what we found was that that was not the case. It really just depended on the home itself and not where it was located within Evanston.
0: Since the LCR requires that community water systems test the same sites each cycle, the city can only change sites if one opts out. Mead conducted the 2017 additional noncompliance testing we mentioned in the last episode. She tested 14 additional houses that year. Of those, half were in the 8th and 9th wards in South Evanston. Only one was in the 5th ward. Mead said part of the problem was finding people in the 5th ward who are interested in participating.
4: We can't call every single person in the ward either. So, I mean, we've tried and we reached out, but honestly, you know, we're not canvassing the neighborhoods to get someone to help us out. If you know anyone that lives in Ward 5 (laughs) willing to help us out, let us know. But um, I don't know why that's a challenge, but for some reason it just is. So I'm hoping that as time goes on, more people might be willing to help us
3: out. We talked to Fifth Ward Alderman Robin Ruesimmons before the twenty twenty testing period, and she had never heard about the Water Department's issue with getting Fifth Ward residents to participate.
5: So there may be lower percentage of home ownership, but there certainly are concerned families that live in the Fifth Ward. We have families that need to know if they are vulnerable to unhealthy lead levels in their water. That is an excuse that. I would not tolerate going forward.
3: And so she didn't. Hello? Hi.
5: Hi. Okay, so we are going to pass a resolution. Thank you for all your advocacy.
6: Wow! (laughs) That's
5: Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I didn't want to say anything until I had an answer. I'm sorry, I'm being loud. I think my daughter's at school. I didn't want to say anything and get you all hyped up until I knew if we could do it or not. But we're going to pass the resolution.
3: City Council will vote on this resolution at its first meeting in January. It will entail
5: including and full representation for all wards obviously it is inspired by that oversight that now all wards will have the same water testing and level of service from our water department
3: so what was the process like on your end to talk to director stoneback and get this done um well the process included really it started
5: with your advocacy and Other being concerned, bringing it to my attention, working with staff, immediate action was appropriate to change his internal policy, and pushing him to think of a way that we can actually codify this and have some accountability on our part and assurance to the community that this was a priority of ours and we will advance with a resolution.
0: Before Bruce Simmons worked on a resolution, Mead was doing what she could to get a representative sample in 2020. This year, Mead tested six homes in the fifth ward for lead contamination. She also expanded the city's sample size from 30 to 40 homes to include historically undersampled wards.
6: When we looked closer at our sampling, we saw that it was more concentrated in certain areas than others and the way that the state rules are is that they want you to keep on going back to the same site. So we had to come up with a way to increase some other sites to get some more samples from other areas and not just be pigeonholed into
0: those." Prior to the 2020 testing period, Mead said the water department didn't have the capacity to contact each eligible home in undersampled wards. But this year, She ended up greatly expanding outreach.
6: I just took it upon myself to really investigate and figure out what our options were and just go block by block to see like, okay, well, this house has a full lead service line and see if that's where we needed samples and if they would be interested in sampling. So it just took a lot of research to figure out viable homes. And then I just sent out a lot of emails and I called a lot of people Googling and trying to figure out information for people. And luckily I was able to contact enough people to meet our requirements and get at least three in every single ward?
5: I believe that the entire city council values equity and the entire city council values our water quality and all other environmental matters in our city. I don't believe there'll be any opposition. I hope not.
0: Even though Rue Simmons' resolution will help ensure equitable testing going forward, this issue is not just about lead and water. The Fifth Ward's exclusion and testing fits into larger historical and societal trends.
3: The loose LCR sampling requirements impact marginalized communities beyond Evanston. For example, the Chicago Tribune found in 2016 that the city was also only testing water for lead in low-risk homes. The majority of testing sites were homes of people who worked for or retired from the Chicago Department of Water Management.
7: The picture that your investigation is starting to uncover seems to me to suggest that here we have a sad but all too predictable pattern of inequality across places, not just in access to public goods, because we should think about access to water testing as a public service. It's literally a public health good. And if those neighborhoods aren't included fully in the water testing, it means they have less access to this public health good.
3: This is political science professor Ruel Rogers, who specializes in race and politics. He said these inequalities run deep in marginalized communities. It's not just in their access to water or proper lead testing, but in all other public amenities and public infrastructure. Evanston isn't immune to these disparities.
7: It tends to be the case that racial minorities are often relegated to neighborhoods that are under-resourced. So you can reason logically that Many of the people, Evanstonians, living in those distressed or under-resourced neighborhoods are also living in older building structures. We know from research on lead testing that those are precisely the structures that tend to have high test results. They tend to have older water lines, and because of that, a lot of those water lines aren't necessarily up to the most modern codes that would limit lead or the usage of lead in the water line.
3: Despite these systemic disadvantages, government programs rarely account for this. Most rely on convenience sampling for participants to opt into testing. Lead testing relies on this method, which creates a non-response bias that tends to disproportionately affect communities of color.
7: And there are lots of reasons why you might see less participation, particularly when it comes to something like convenience sampling. Participation often is correlated with political knowledge or political information, awareness of how government works, how the political world works more generally. So we know from decades of research that Racial minorities, African-Americans included, tend to report lower levels of political knowledge and political information. Ipso facto, if they have less information, let's say about something like the availability of water testing, they're less likely to participate in opportunities to get water tested in the building structures where they live.
5: If we don't have the information, then we don't know that the opportunity is there to be tested or to improve our water. There is an income disparity, there is an education gap, but there is also an information divide in this city.
0: Even though convenience sampling doesn't create an equitable provision of public policy, government programs commonly use them at every level, leaving marginalized groups heavily underrepresented across the board. As a result, communities of color and low-income residents are less confident in the government's ability to respond to their interests and needs when it comes to the provision of public goods, like safe drinking water.
5: This pisses me off because this should be different than this.
3: That's Janet Alexander Davis, the Fifth Ward environmental activist.
5: It's so many systems to the city or to living in a home or house or an apartment and so much that regular people have to know in order to fight the good fight. You have no idea how these things really are put together and how you can change it. It's really difficult.
3: From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Hina Shabastava. Thanks for listening. This episode was reported and produced by me, Hina Shavastava, and Callan Luciano. The in-focus editors of The Daily are Gabby Bierenbaum and Andrea Bian. The audio editor is Alex Chun. The digital managing editors are Molly Lubers and Jacob O'Hara. The editor-in-chief is Marissa Martinez. Parts of the story were reported prior to the COVID-19 pandemic.